Eric, I've been getting a question a lot in the last couple of days. Are you still wearing a mask? Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> wait, I I don't like that people are asking you this as though it assumes that you shouldn't be wearing a mask. Well, that's the whole thing. I feel like as Chicago enters phase four of pandemic recovery, I've really been seeing a lot of restaurants and bars and, and people acting like maybe it's it's time to open up and take the mask off, but I still wear mine all the time. I feel like we're definitely still locked down. Oh, I mean, and a mask is just like such a easy and like affordable thing to like prevent COVID transmission. I don't know why you wouldn't do it. And I just spent a few days up in uh, the north woods of Wisconsin, and, and I will say a lot of people up there were not wearing masks. Although at the grocery store, uh, every, like pretty much everyone was, which was great. But like restaurants, like forget about it. I I did. I ended up so I really fall in love with eating outside. And I ended up stopping at Subway because in the Northwoods of Wisconsin, every restaurant is like, here's a steak with a burger on the side. Or you can eat it <laughs> like Subway. So I ate at Subway for lunch one day and I sat outside and this older gentleman who was wearing a mask sat next to me and I thanked him for wearing a mask. And then we had a really, we had a talk that you would expect I would have with like an older gentleman in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. He said things like, all lives matter. And he doesn't like people kneeling for the NFL, uh, you know, during the national anthem. But even this guy, right, even this guy, Lauren, said to me that he understands why people are protesting, although he doesn't agree with looting, because he thinks that cops have a problem with black people. Even this guy. That's pretty intense. I mean, also the fact that he was wearing a mask, it really shows that, like, he's drawn some lines in the sand, but is clearly open to being educated about other issues. That's kind of comforting to hear. It was nice. We had a pretty good conversation, even though I didn't want to engage him when he said all lives matter. Um, I, I appreciate that he, yeah, his mind was open to the fact that, like, uh, there are systemic problems in the country. And even though he doesn't uh, maybe <laughs> fully grasp the nuances of them in, in the way that I, I wish he would have, uh, I'm glad that he is watching out for these things. So you were eating outside, I assume, to be away from other people, yes? Well, so the the dime, I found that, like, chains, even though I hate chains, they're being a lot more conscientious about uh, inside dining. So this it was not even an option. Like, I got my sandwich and I sat in the nice parking lot table um, just because I didn't want to eat in my car, you know? Right. A lot of places that are private businesses are still kind of following pandemic protocol. That's true for my local grocery store as well. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention was that we recently together were at your online birthday party because we're we're still doing socialization remotely. Yeah, I've really come around to Zoom Hangouts. It took me a long time, but it was awesome. So I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast. I don't think we did, but I basically convinced a bunch of people I know through Shira to play the match game with me. So I hosted a version of match game uh, with celebrity panelists like Lauren, but also like Shane Lynch and Tim Seeley, and then some <laughs> Liz Burton, who was the incredible gamer daddy. Um, and then we yeah. had some, some contestants who also like you might recognize from the podcast. It was so fun. 
I feel like those of us who weren't actual people from the She-Ra production process just tried to make a huge show of ourselves, like Gamer Daddy and then my whole like Charles Nelson Riley cosplay. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. If you guys want to see this, I posted it on our Facebook page. You can also go to YouTube's because I, I, we broadcast it on Twitch and I, uh, I put it up on YouTube so you can search for wait i have to find the exact wording it's called um eric's birthday game show 2020 match game zoom edition featuring shira kinda it's a lot of words it's really fun though or you can just search eric cigarno on youtube yeah definitely watch that if you haven't there's a lot of she-ra and a lot of podcast references on there i we hope it makes you laugh um as for me so far i have seen uh, a loved one's like master's thesis no phd like her thesis to become a phd her thesis defense i saw my sister get married on zoom and i've been to just a countless number of birthday parties I actually will be hosting, to take it back to All Lives Matter, uh, I'm going to be hosting an All Countries Matter, like, educational salon Fantasia online instead of a July 4th party in which everyone, uh, I will be inviting you, by the way, I haven't put this online yet, but everyone will be able to do a two-minute presentation on a country other than America and why it matters on July 4th, because I'm a huge political troll. So when you say Fantasia... How do you get the brooms to dance around and stuff? Hello, welcome back to She-Ra Progressive of Power. It's still another week and I'm still Eric. And I'm still Lauren. And that's a great thing. Uh, gosh, I don't know what to say. We're recording these really kind of far in advance and it feels strange to talk about... Uh, anything other than Shira, because Shira's not changing, but the world is changing rapidly these days. Yeah, I I was just talking to my boss before we got on this call because I work usually right up until we start podcasting, and she was talking about whether or not at the corporate level, uh, the company I work for was going to say anything about George Floyd and the protests, and if we were going to donate anything, and really just. Every business, every individual is really looking inside themselves right now, I think, to decide what they're going to do and say to make sure that this time, whatever revolution happens, whatever changes happen, really stick. And so this episode of our show is not going to release for a while, so who knows what's actually going to be happening, but that's where we're at today, and I hope... Uh, the people hearing will know better than we know now. Yeah, we're in the past. <laughs> so before we intro our guest, I I don't want to make this a big thing, but I got into a uh, a discussion with our mutual friend Chris Geiger about this yesterday. Lauren, do you think it is better for a company to uh, say nothing or to say something trite as a feel good gesture? That's funny because that's exactly what I was talking about with my supervisor, and we uh, said say nothing because. Um, if you say nothing, it looks like you're just trying to appease and you don't really stand for anything and it's just trendy, like you feel like you have to. And this time, more than any other protest, the internet's really coming for people who are wishy-washy. You could really draw some well-earned negative attention to yourself, so you better be ready to say something pointed and specific and good. 
So I, I think this is why we're friends because I come down on the, or why we podcast together. I also come down on the side of like, it's better to say nothing than to um, say something empty with no action behind it. And Chris was like, well, it's really fun to see, you know, a bunch of angry nerds get up in arms because like, I don't know, Pokemon or Nintendo posted Black Lives Matter. And I agree that that's fun in a way, but like, I think corporations trying to pat themselves on the back for, you know, the the most breezy of gestures is not helping anybody. And I think we all see through it at this point. Exactly. And I don't think they're all patting themselves on the back either. I think it's some of them who would really rather not participate and they'd rather opt out because it feels political and scary and they're just obligated. And I think when that feeling is in your writing, it's clear. People can tell. Yes. Yeah. And I I think in general, one of the problems with the Internet is that people feel compelled to say something about everything. But there's too many opinions out there. Too many people, especially too many white people talking about things that, like, they don't, they should just be listening. That said, here is two white people talking about She-Ra, but that, that's okay, right? We've, we've been doing this a while. <laughs> We're grandfathered in. We get to open our mouths. Hashtag yikes. Uh, maybe I'll cut that part. I don't know. Anyway, uh, we are continuing on our string of... Uh, sweet guests and sweet episodes today. We are very lucky and fortunate and happy to be joined by a staff writer for Shira who wrote this very episode. Will everyone please welcome to the show Laura Srebni? Hey guys, how's it going? Hello, uh, we're doing I think as well as we can given yes. the circumstances. Yes, how are you? <laughs> question to ask right now. <laughs> I saw someone say something like instead of asking how are you doing? You should open conversations with um, what can I do, which I thought was interesting, but also gives me anxiety. <laughs> I heard a really good piece of advice, too, and it's from my friend Risa. I want to give Risa a shout out because they don't listen to this show, but they have plugged us to two different people they met on dating apps who are now loyal listeners. <laughs> so hello, people on dating apps. Uh, this is our show. But anyway, Risa has been saying that they had an acceptable day today. Not a good day, not a bad day, but to find something that's not so binary and is just in the middle and to say, I had an acceptable day today. And I love that. And so today, my day is acceptable. That's great. I I do not have that kind of luck with She-Ra on dating apps, but I did just tell someone <laughs> I met on OkCupid that my week would have sucked a little bit more without our conversation, which she said was sweet. So that's where we're where we're at right now. I'm impressed that you're on dating apps at all during this. I I mean, you know, I live alone and I actually got broken up with like 3 weeks ago, so it's it's a time. Real talk. <laughs> anyway, let's talk <laughs> about Shira though. <laughs> There's no pain here. No. Oh, no. This episode is uh completely sanitized of any real emotions or trauma or drama and everyone is just it's basically Barney, honestly. That's, that's the goal. Thank you. Are you saying Barney doesn't have messages? Because Barney had messages. Did it? <laughs> yeah, clean up after yourself. That's what I learned from Barney. I guess that is kind of a message of Shira as well. Uh, like, really, they're spending the whole season cleaning up, if not the whole series. Yeah, Katra. Katra is learning to clean up after herself. In this episode, even. Wow, that's actually really true. 
<laughs> so we are talking about Taking Control today, which is another great title with two meanings. The writer's room is so good at that. We're very clever. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. At first, I was like, this title is very direct. I don't know if I like it. But then I'm like, but wait, though, it applies to both the A and B plots, but in different ways. So then I came around to like, oh, this title's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> So that's my commentary for this week. Thank you, everybody. Good episode. Thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs> yeah, so uh, what happens in Taking Control? So Adora, Catra, Entrapta, Bo, and Glimmer are making their way away from the Velvet Glove, uh, but their ship's pretty messed up. So while Entrapta works on repairs, uh, unfortunately, Horde Prime has outfitted Catra with a tracker in her little back-of-the-neck chip, and so some like horde ship drones can uh, can follow them, which is pretty harrowing. Meanwhile, back on Etheria, um, Micah, Natasa, Spinnerella, Frosta, and Swiftwind go to free the village of Elberon from uh, horde danger because Swiftwind is is very excited to go uh, enjoy another one of their parties. Except when they get there, they find that there is no danger, but everyone is very kind of mellowed out and subdued and creepy well it turns out that horde prime has been chipping the people on etheria and has been taking control of them uh which catra learns because she can access horde prime's network through her chip uh which entrapta will eventually remove by the episode's end and there is uh cue the bingo square talk a badass space battle where adora finally figures out how to manifest shira for good turns into Shira and beats the horde ships uh, by doing some really cool like sci-fi kung fu action stuff in space. It's pretty dope. And I think that's uh that's most of the episode. Uh at the end we find out that unfortunately um Spinnerella has been chipped. Uh-oh. What's going to happen with that? I just want to congratulate myself on eating a whole frozen burrito during that recap. I did it. I'm a queen. <laughs> Do you want me to take it a second take and you can add some uh, tortilla chips? <laughs> it wasn't noisy enough for you? Okay. I didn't hear anything, honestly. Really, I'm a pro. Anyway, great recap. Thank you. I, I really, I forgot how much I enjoyed this episode. I think watching it week to week uh for the podcast has helped me because like save the cat is obviously there's a lot of gravity in that episode it's a very like heavy dense episode uh but taking control has just as much going on and maybe we should open up with the the hardest stuff which is i think for me this is the episode where i really like a hundred percent was convinced that adora and catra were romantically involved only now I was going to say, it's about time. I held out a while. I did. But yeah, I think I think this clinched it. There's so many, like really all of their interactions and all of Adora's talking about Catra. I was like, okay, yeah, this is it. They're, they love each other. I think we talked a lot about that, that, that the moment that Catra grabs her hand and says stay was like the big turning point. I, I agree with that exactly being the big turning point, but I've been I've been trying to convince Eric that this has been the status quo for a while. <laughs> I was just like, oh, maybe they're just friends. I mean, I think being a kid in the 80s has programmed me that anytime two characters in a cartoon have a relationship, they're just friends. 
In fact, isn't there a moral in the original Shira that says if you like someone, you should ask them to take a walk with you and maybe then they'll be your friend? Uh, <laughs> so we're fighting against, you know, 35 years of me watching that stuff. But no, I think there's more than friendship going on here. I think it's fair to say that, like, they're only starting to realize now as well, to a point. That is not canon. I'm just, I think they've been so lost in the war of it all that I don't think that they've had time to have that even cross their mind. I appreciate the other characters' relationships with Katra in this episode because... As everyone listening at home knows, I have a hard time forgiving Catra or getting on board with Catra Dora or Catra Redemption. And it's in the dialogue of this episode that both Glimmer and Bo are kind of hesitant about having her around. Bo calls the group friends and one person who threw me off a cliff once. <laughs> and later, Glimmer falls just short of like laughing at Adora for thinking Catra could ever change. And so we are seeing some... Uh, appreciated resistance in the best friend squad. They're not just going to let bygones be bygones so quickly. I think the show really needs that. But by the same token, at the end of the episode, which this moment, like, honestly made me emotional, where they're all sharing this meal together, and it's like a very quiet, peaceful moment, and it's Bo and Glimmer who move aside to make room for Catra at their makeshift table. I mean, they're great friends. I think they, they understand that she means a lot to Adora, and Glimmer at least owes her... <laughs> she still owes her her life but yeah i think it's it, we we tried to track that that it's not just okay great you're a good guy now it's like no there's still a lot of work to do but we have bigger problems how much of the physical stuff like that like it is bow and glimmer who move aside is written in the show like when you're writing it versus gets added later that's a good question. I should have reread the script before this, so I don't take credit for stuff. Uh, but um, I mean, that for, that was something we had planned. We wanted to make it clear that they were the ones sort of making space for her. So we 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 do our best to like get a lot of that action now. We work with the board artists to make sure we're all on the same page for character intentions and motivations, and then they just make everything even better. <laughs> I mean, the space battle like I couldn't have imagined that. Before before they did their did their magic, I mean that that was insane. And so, Laura, you might know we have this like these bingo squares that we've been tracking this season. One of Lauren's predictions was that there would be a badass space battle, a la Star Wars. No, Lauren, I mean, this is your call ultimately, but I gotta say that it must count in this episode, right? It does count. My qualifier was spaceships have to be firing on other spaceships, and that is what happens. Uh, the battle is eventually won by, you know, Shira herself just running out in space. But what I asked, what I asked for, I got, and so that is a bingo square for sure. And I think I thought this would come later in the season, but it ultimately makes sense, and I, I really like that. Kind of the outer space stuff is the precursor to what the real battle is, which is bringing it back home to Etheria. You know, speaking of the the bingo squares, this is. <laughs> 
uh, off subject, but I just want to say that I, before I came on board with all the Catradora stuff, was a Catra Glimmer shipper. So, oh my I, gosh. I was like, this should have been marked off from the first season. But I understand if you had specific rules. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I I so appreciate that. And yeah, I just really thought when they were stranded alone on Horde Prime ship that magic was going to happen. So I'm glad I, I'm not the only one. I'm sure I, I suggested it at least a couple times. And they were like, that is not what's happening. I'm like, okay, but. <laughs> <laughs> but what if it did? But hear me out. <laughs> I think we had a we had a fair discussion about it. They were very kind with me, and they were like they would have a terrible relationship and immediately like just break up in a flame. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but but now that you say that, hasn't there always been this flirtiness, like calling glimmer sparkles? That's like so flirty. I mean, right? to, to be fair, all of that was me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you'll I find like... the episodes where sparkles came, and then like catcher bit glimmer and all those things i'm like those are all mine well there you go there you go i like how two minutes ago in this conversation you were saying i don't want to take credit for anything but you're that's for sure yours definitely i feel feel confident about sparkles (laughs) well it's funny that you bring up the the relationship dynamic potential between Glimmer and Catra, because we see a, the relationship dynamic between Adora and Catra in this episode, and I'm not so sure about it yet. Um, they both have kind of some self-loathing to work through, and they both think the other person hates them. Catra says everyone hates her, but Adora's calling herself an idiot, and there's just so much you know, negativity and guilt towards themselves that... Um, you know, this episode really made me hope and wish that we got to see them more in the future. And uh, we'll get to that in another episode. But I just, they're having a tough time right now. And I don't know if this episode makes them look like the most viable couple quite yet either. Um, I loved them together. I loved their moments. But their dynamic, I mean, rough, rough in this one. Yeah, I mean, they, they've got a lot of ground to cover and and friendship to repair before they can get anywhere else i think also though like laura did just say to me i can't believe you that you can be on dating apps during this time not that you said it accusingly which maybe is why i'm <laughs> repeating it but i i feel like i mean adora and Katra also like not only do they have a lot to repair but like what a time to try to have any kind of meaningful connection with anybody right <laughs> that's true i if, if i mean if you want to get into it I think that's true for every phase of relationship. Like, if we're going to compare our personal situations, I'm currently with a long-term partner, but being in a, a pandemic and having protests going on, that's made that relationship extraordinarily difficult, too. And we actually spend a lot of time in this episode of Shira with Spinnerella and Natasha, and they're married at this point, and they're not having it so easy either. It's no matter what, I think being in like some form of wartime or experiencing some sort of large scale trauma, I don't think there's an ideal type of relationship that weathers those things the best possible way. Yeah, I've had married friends confide in me that like this has been the hardest test on their relationship, even if they've been together like a decade plus, which, yeah, it really makes me and my five month relationship feel like, okay, so it's not just me, you know. Have we talked about the fact that multiple people 
in my uh, one of my friends' companies, in my own company, have said the reason they want their offices to open back up is because they need to get away f- from their own spouses and children. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I, I, people that have kids at home right now are the true heroes, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't envy it. Um, I... I don't know if I admire it either. It's just, I'm just gonna, I'm good out here. Hey, speaking of kids, though, there's a, there's another dynamic in this episode that um, is very challenging. Um, we do, in fact, see Micah worried that Glimmer's not going to like him, and he's sort of working that out with Frosta. Um, and Frosta doesn't want to be infantilized. Frosta doesn't want to be treated like a baby who has to be protected. And they're both sort of figuring out what their friendship could be like while also having their own needs met. Um, the first time I watched this episode, I didn't really get it. I was like, are we just looking for a plot for Frosta here? And the second time I watched it, it way clicked with me, especially in the scene where... Uh, Micah guides Frosta on how to use her powers defensively instead of offensively. I was like, ah, this is a great arc. I'm actually into it. Yeah, I mean, we, we forget that about Frosta a lot. Even, you know, she's so funny and, and uh, Merritt, who does the voice, is hilarious. But, like, we forget, like, oh, she's actually, like, maybe one of the strongest princesses. Like, her powers are amazing and she's full of energy. So it was cool to be, like call her out on that like to be the hero in this situation so i wanted to ask you about potentially non-canon motivation uh round two so when we talked about launch and we talked about micah putting on this like shira glamour and lauren and i were both kind of like was that really all they could think of if he really wanted to see his daughter couldn't they think of anything else to do and then lauren was like in my head he was so afraid to meet glimmer that that he purposely did this. And at first I was like, oh, that's neat. But I don't know if that's there. But then the more I thought about it, and then we had a fan write-in, whose name I unfortunately don't have in front of me, who talked about how uh, what they loved about Micah on Beast Island was that the thing he was most afraid of was meeting a disappointing glimmer. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, this this could almost be text that Micah is not ready. And now that we have the uh, writer of both launch and taking control here... <laughs> What is what is your opinion on that? I think that makes a lot of sense. I I like. I mean, it, he he certainly is anxious about it. And uh, you guys are no spoiler podcast, right? Uh, we try to be. Okay. Yeah, ish. Yeah, you you can tell he's anxious about it, especially you know with all the time lost and like. I like that concept that he he was a dad of a toddler basically, and is like I don't know how to talk to kids or teenagers or like wherever she's at. Um, I think that's totally fair. And I, I think he had a fair excuse too, where like magic doesn't work in space. He can't actually help them up there. So I like the emotional reason better. That makes a lot of sense. Well, even without the emotional reason, like whether or not we want to say he was ready to meet her, he was nervous about meeting her. I think we, we do have it in the text that he wrote, he thinks of her as maybe younger than she actually is. You know, he's kind of testing out some of his dad bits on Frosta, like, I sure could go for some cake. And, like, that wouldn't fly with Glimmer either. I think in his mind, he's picturing a kid who is not who Glimmer is anymore, especially since Glimmer had to become queen. I think she had to grow up really quickly. And so 
even if he's ready emotionally, he's not ready in terms of who he has in his mind. It's true. Although I do think Glimmer, even now, would be more susceptible to cake and games than Frosta. Oh, yeah, fair. What I thought was neat about this dynamic, too, that I didn't get till the second time watching is that, uh, you know, Frosta has this, like, adoration of Glimmer. She really looks up to Glimmer as, like, an older sister or a role model. So it's fascinating to me that Glimmer's dad just has no traction with her at all. She'd be extra suspicious, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, they were, they were definitely fun to play with, those two. I mean, Daniel Day Kim, such a huge fan of him. And, like, he just came in and, like was so goofy. It was it was great what he was game for. So I have a logistical question and having the writer in the room certainly helps. Okay. When so when in this episode does Spinnerella actually get chipped? Because Ooh. I imagined it was the moment when she said something weird just happened. But then she's fighting back and she's carrying Natasha and she's acting like a real team member. And so I was like, is it after that? So where in the timeline was that? You you know, you were totally right. Yeah, they get separated at the party. When Natasha comes to find her, we see Spinarella kind of against a column where somebody could have been hiding, perhaps. And looking very uncomfortable and strange. And I pictured it as... Uh, I mean, there's there's two ways you can think about it. Either like, does the chip take immediately? Maybe not. And also, she could get yeah. I guess if she fought with the Elberonians in this battle, she could get these four or five people. If she plays longer game, maybe she infiltrates more. Yeah, I kind of looked at it as like they were putting that chip there as a placeholder to activate later when she was in a spot that could do more damage. That's all that makes sense to me because I don't know why the line something weird just happened would occur if she were already fully under someone else's control. Like she wouldn't turn her hand like that at all. And yeah, so the right. fact that like it it takes a bit to sink in or it can get turned on later, I would actually want to watch some of the other episodes with that potential in mind as well. I bet you don't have to wait long, not that we're spoiling anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so do you remember in the episode that comes out tomorrow? So the with M, do you remember how shocked I was that uh, Melissa Fumero did the voice of one of the Star Siblings? Yeah, I didn't realize until like a week ago that Noel was the voice of Spinnerella. Oh, I knew that. <laughs> Where have I been? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew that, and I was really. Um kind of wondering what that was like for her because it takes she takes such a a spotlight this season and I don't I don't feel like that was planned from the beginning that suddenly she would take on this huge voice acting load but yeah it's very cool yeah I mean I, I can't speak for her obviously but I do think she took Spinarella at the beginning thinking it was just like a fun little cameo and you know, the story takes us where the story takes us. And I think she was a little stressed, but she did great. I mean, she had to, she used to do a lot of, a lot of angry screaming and stuff. And she, she knocked it out of the park. I was glad that the, uh, this season gave Natasha and Spinarella more to do. And this episode especially uh, made me happy because yeah, I just feel like, I mean, they are kind of remnants of the last rebellion and they're the adults. So maybe they're not the focal point, but it's, it's nice to dig into their character, especially uh, you might've heard Lauren and I compare them to uh to oh my uh phyllis and bob vance on the office they like don't always get the a story 
but you know they got their shit figured out so maybe it's not as interesting but it's nice to have that there you know it's like phyllis has her shit together similarly natasha spinnerella have their shit together why is the through line of this podcast season the office <laughs> it's just so I haven't much even watched an episode in weeks i don't know i guess i just miss it <laughs> i miss my office true. <laughs> no but you're right the season was awesome for that i mean they're they're so fun to write for and i mean their powers are so cool when you actually get to see them right yeah uh there's a lot of really inventive use of power something i missed earlier that she-ra can make platforms with her sword what that's co- so cool yeah she's got some light constructs now is there, I used to always wonder this about Superman, right? Because so many people got to write Superman and just invented so many powers for him over so many decades that I was like, is there a list anywhere? When it comes to She-Ra, do you guys have like a formalized canon somewhere? Like this is what she can do and this is what she can't do. And I imagine that it would expand now that she has this new form. Yeah, actually, yeah. Um, Noelle and Josie were really good at tracking that Uh and we talked about some of the original powers because I, I think she could like talk to animals and stuff too. Like there were all kinds of things yeah. that we kind of left out. But uh, yeah, no, it was important to kind of set rules for her. I feel like the new show does a good job of taking some of the wackier things that Shira could do in the '80s and ground them a little bit. Like you're right, she doesn't talk to animals, but she does exert a soothing presence on them. Uh, similarly, her sword doesn't turn into like a scuba helmet or a bola we, we talked about it it's gotten weird a couple of times it turned into a baseball bat once it's weird you got the we got the mop the sword mop that's true but I, it's not at like dramatic moments where it's just the one thing also the the helmet it turns into in the classic show doesn't really cover her head so it shouldn't give her like safety <laughs> it's not anyway. a superior helmet. What a waste. What a waste. Uh speaking of Shira powers, I thought the transformation in this episode was another. Like it would be hard to top the one in Save the Cat, but this was so cool and when Swiftwind lit up, I I'm not kidding, Laura, I gasped the first time <laughs> I watched this because I thought Swiftwind was going to get the armor and I I said out loud, "Oh my god," as like I'm eating my breakfast cereal. <laughs> Obviously, Swiftwind didn't get the armor, but that was so cool. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, their connection's so fun. But yeah, I mean, he can't he can't wear armor. He can't be held down by that. No, he has to like be man saddle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that. Li- I like that being the logic behind it. That would be far too binding to the man. Exactly. <laughs> we would never do that. <laughs> Something that um, a couple of our listeners have really been analyzing as they hear our episodes come out is the nature of apology and when when an apology is required and when it's sufficient enough and when we should forgive. Um, I'm notoriously like very slither and very grudge holding. (laughs) And so this is a conversation that uh, I don't often agree with our listeners on who I think are much more forgiving and kind souls. But uh, I caught on my second watch through, there's a huge moment between Entrapta and Catra in which after the chip is removed from Catra, Catra does say she's sorry to Entrapta and Entrapta forgives her. 
I think it's very beautiful. And I think especially between those two, because um, Entrapta struggled so much with who was her friend and who wasn't. That's such a, a needed bond between them. But again, for the second time, Catra's apology like totally lacks specificity. Um, like modern mental health sort of discussions that I've participated a lot in really talk about like an apology has to be specific. You need to acknowledge the damaging behavior, what you're going to do in the future to improve. And then that'll really like show the other person that you mean it. Uh, Catra seems to really get by on just saying, sorry. Um, and I think there's a lot to learn there from these characters. And I would just kind of like to hear your take on it because Sorry, period, is already a huge step for Katra. I think expecting more from her is probably unreasonable. But it also is like a, just a Herculean amount of empathy and room that everyone just accepts that and takes her in after. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right that for Katra to say I'm sorry, it is it carries so much weight, Just be, especially after last episode, Save the Cat. Like, we know how much how hard that is for her to say and like having her do that even the next episode is like pretty amazing that she's taking these steps um and it was it was really interesting to see her kind of reunion with entrapta because i think we tried to show that like she's so ashamed of that and like so terrified to see entrapta in this episode even like when it's you know gonna save her life she's like i don't want to see her don't let her near me and it's i think coming from a place of shame and I, I don't know, it, it, I think for me it was because she has such a skewed perception of how people act. And yeah, you're right, like grudge holding and stuff. Like the fact that Entrapta had her so vulnerable, like with that chip and like the <laughs> spinal cord and like, you know, connected to her brain and everything. And then just did did the job and like didn't hurt Catcher, didn't do anything was like that was big for Catcher to be like, oh, people can she I don't know she was just thinking of the worst of Entrapta and realizing that like no it's it's just it's it's a uh, there's such an interesting case study for that though because like it is sure yeah Entrapta forgives her immediately and that is like oh that's you know she really screwed you over with that you know sending you to be silent but at the same time like Entrapta doesn't think like other people think and in some ways might even be grateful that she got to go to be silent like that was an amazing trip for her she learned a ton and she never quite apologized for the things that she did. And so that, that's kind of a weird specific scenario. It's like, eh, I don't know. And Trapta still has to apologize too. And she never did. And people kind of let her off the hook in well, my that, opinion. That, yeah, that was, so that's my opinion too. And I'm glad to hear you say that. Cause you wrote the episode uh, with Entrapta's apology, which I think was something Lauren and I were kind of like, that was probably the meatiest disagreement we've had with the season so far is like do we buy this and so i guess i wanted to ask you again as the writer of both episodes do you feel like uh maybe entrapta learned anything from how characters treated her in launch that allowed her to have mercy for catra i do think so i think seeing how they all forgave her gave her that kind of inspiration to to pay that forward almost she's learning she's learning to love that's sweet I I kind of appreciate that she still though got in the sass and was like, "Oh, is it because you sent me to be silent and stole my work and then tried to use it to destroy the whole world?" You know, just you can forgive, but you can be petty too, just for one moment. Yeah, exactly. 
that's where I'm coming from. It's iconic. I love it. I, I, mean, I aspire to be that good. All these characters are so... I mean, like, the can of worms you can open by any of these conversations, because it's, you know, you could have Adora be just as petty and be like, oh, you mean the work you did with Hordak to, like, destroy our world until you basically at the last second found out you shouldn't? Like, you know, they, they all got, they all have stuff to apologize for. <laughs> yes. And, yeah, there's definitely this level of, like, sci-fi fantasy abstraction and... Uh, I think we have to account for in this episode the fact that Katra has, like, very recently been re-traumatized, if, if that's a word. Like, uh, really put through the ringer again, so. But yeah, I thought I thought this was very sweet. I, I really like, I'm learning I like the more understated moments. Like, I thought the Katra and Trapta reconciliation was, was very, uh, was very sweet in how kind of simple it was. Yeah, it's kind of perfect that way, and... and- I think we try and show in, you know, the following episodes that it's not all just cleaned up now. Like Adora and Catra have still have a ton of work to do with each other. And it basically every time Catra sees a new person, she has to kind of re-apologize or deal with it again. So it's, yeah, I, I, I agree, Lauren. Like you don't want to just let them off the hook, but I think they, Adora and Catra understand each other on a deeper level, maybe. Yeah, their their whole past together. I would I would agree that that's true. So uh, completely kind of jumping to a different subject about this episode. This was I think to me the scariest episode of the season. There were some real um, like horror kind of genre moments, and the most striking to me was the the hands of the chipped people like hitting against the ice. A very zombie movie. Um, kind of where where did your inspiration come from for those more horror sections, and what scares you? <laughs> uh, I I have to yeah that the, that hand thing was terrifying for sure. <laughs> um, I think a lot of that came from the board artists. I mean, it certainly the zombie thing is kind of built in with the chips, but I am notoriously terrible at scary things like. If if we get together and watch a scary movie, I usually leave like 15 minutes in or just skip the movie. You're speaking my language. Yeah, yeah. I'll eat the snacks and then be like, all right, have fun. <laughs> I'll read the Wikipedia and talk to you tomorrow. So that definitely, uh, they, you know, they this crew has made me watch the thing and a couple other things that I wish I hadn't seen. But I got to give that up to the board artist and, and Mandy, the director, because uh, I definitely would not have wanted it. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been saying for episodes that uh i i love the horror movie vibes of horde prime's team and i think you know this one introduces a, a new kind of rub on the zombie theme which is the body snatchers uh trope so now we've got a couple different horror movie tropes rolled into one here which must have been especially terrifying <laughs> i similarly do not like scary movies so i don't think i knew that about you eric i'm glad we're all in the same boat i get i take a lot of flack because i have a lot of real like gothy horror fan friends who love like slasher movies and stuff and last summer probably about a a full year ago now I watched Friday the 13th for the first time in my entire life um out in someone's yard and we like set up a um like a big projection screen and it's the campiest, like, most non-scary thing. And I was just 
terrified and like asking my partner, like, can you come watch this with me? Like, I'm, I don't want to be embarrassed by the show I make of myself about how horrified I am while all these other people are watching this movie they've seen a hundred times. I don't like to pay money or time to be scared. It's not a feeling I enjoy. Yeah, agree. I did just watch a... Uh... Oh, Green Room, though, which is listed as a horror movie on uh, Netflix. That was pretty pretty sweet. Even, like, movies that aren't supposed to be scary. Have you seen Sorry to Bother You? Yeah, okay. That was so scary at the end. I was so mad. Yeah, the very end. The very end. I was like, I can't watch this again. This end part is too scary for oh, me. Even though I it's got- loved it. Interesting. Now, now we have a divide. I don't know why that movie was fine with me. I loved it. I did. And I think it's an important film that I can recommend to a lot of people to like, I mean, frankly, even right now, talk about modern racism and income inequality. But I'm like, also, there's a scary part. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there is one jump scare that comes out of nowhere where you're like, what the fuck? Like, also, everyone who recommended that movie to me told me it's gonna, there's gonna be a turn, right? And I thought, well, the turn about the fact that they're basically selling like slavery as an startup app you kind of see coming so that i was like okay i guess it's a turn but it's still not that weird to me but then when you get to the actual turn oh yeah it's <laughs> fucked up it's fucked up Sorry, messed up I... oh we can swear we okay. swear on this show it's fine <laughs> i swear all the damn time <laughs> uh there's one other bingo prophecy that gets fulfilled in this episode and this is one of mine i said swift wind would sing and boy does swift wind sing uh he even rhymes drones and ice cream cones which is a plus yeah i think i was expecting that bingo square to come to fruition in a more like formal way how there was like an actual musical number at one point between with Mermista and Seahawk but this is just him singing to himself and I think that's way more in line with his personality <laughs> oh yeah yeah I, I love writing for Swiftwind mostly because of that just wasting space on couplets <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna say he's wasting space I was like mean no he's he's a gem he, I mean, he gets to say lines that nobody else could pull off. So it's he's he's great to have around. Gonna beat those bots and smash some drones that eat me some ice cream cones. Hey, where are all those drones? That brings up an interesting question outside this episode. Uh, do you have any like? We should probably be asking these kind of questions, Lauren. Now that we're we're at the end of Shira. Uh, do you have any like favorite characters or, or or like plot lines you liked writing or or what like do you gravitate towards most in this show? Oh yeah, now that it's coming to an end, we can actually reflect some, huh? <laughs> I mean, I well, I, I love all the sort of painful love stuff. Um, I I had desperately clawed my way onto the team, knowing that it was Noel and. Uh, hoping and assuming that she would be doing some really interesting gay storylines. And so um, just threading that in from the beginning as much as I could with her and, and, and the whole team. I mean, it's everybody was on board with that. So, so any like any like good painful love stuff. So the adore Catra, like in this episode was so fun to write. Um, just want to hurt, just want to hurt people. Oh, 
But I also, I mean, Scorpio is a damn treat to write for. Of course. I feel like she is, especially now that she's on, like, the good guy side, she's become my favorite. Like, I would definitely hang out with Scorpio. She's just the best. And, yeah, I don't know. She just, she's so fun. Just, like, the weird. Notably absent from this one, though. And I guess, I guess if you had a plan moving forward for, like, no spoilies, who was going to get chipped and who wasn't, you kind of had to spread your characters out in terms of what missions they went on. Well, also, I mean, we, we've had this problem from the beginning, but just in terms of budget, you can only have really so many characters voicing and, and just so many characters on screen to draw. And I mean, the fact that we've had such a huge ensemble has been an issue forever. <laughs> so we wanted this one to kind of... Uh, yeah, spotlight some people that didn't ever team up before. But yes, I mean, I always miss writing Scorpio. And I mean, Seahawk is the best. I'll also say, sorry, I'm just like, I guess every character is what I'm trying to say. But <laughs> I mean, Adora didn't need to be as funny as she is. And I think Amy Carrero just has such weird, interesting instincts that we were able to be like, oh, okay, I guess Adora's like kind of funny. Like, this is amazing. And like, just writing kind of the silly stuff for her is so fun. That's so true. She's a breakout, uh, like especially this season, so many great comedy lines. Uh, I like how, how the show is willing to get goofy. Sometimes it's, it's nice, uh, levity amongst all the, you know, terror. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, something I want to inject into our general show dialogue is the fact that Eric, you have started watching the entire season over. Isn't that correct? The whole series. The series. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not that far in, but I, I ran and, uh, I finished my last show I was binging in, which was glow, which was amazing. And I was like, I should watch She-Ra again. So, uh, it's been really cool to go back to the beginning and, and see all these things that, you know, you know, come out later. The reason I thought of it now is because anecdotally, like without evidence, I believe that some of the voice acting got more and more goofy and and extreme as the show went on. Like I feel like Adora and Bo and Entrapta all got like a lot more screamy and intense. And it just seemed like they were just having more fun and they were being more experimental when they found their characters more. But I might have made that up. And so, Eric, going back to the beginning, you're going to be able to actually tell me, like, does that happen? Do they come out of their shells more over time? I think definitely yes. And I, I didn't realize watching it season by season, but uh, Bo's voice changes as well, which is so charming. I know, a lot of fewer voice cracks at the end. Yeah. No, I I believe that though. I I've been meaning to do that myself just to see. It, it would be interesting to see. I mean, we all we all grew so much on the show. Like a lot of us were you know new to the game and just. I I feel like by the I mean by this season like everything's just top level. Like the animation's amazing, the art is amazing, the acting's amazing. Not to toot our own horn, but no, it's it's true. Uh, it really yeah. I mean, I don't know it maybe is too simple to say like, Oh, like every part of the show went on a journey and found its footing as it went along. But it does kind of feel like that. Well, especially with the voice acting, I, I I guess this is also anecdotally just on my observation, but like, you know, the first season, like you're, you're finding the characters and it's like, okay, we, we, we got who, who we think they are when we write them. And then the voice actors fill in the other half. And so by now it's like, 
like a Scorpio, for instance, like we wrote her and then uh, Lauren Ash, who does the voice, does this, you know, phenomenal job and like improvises so much. And then that would feed us to be like, oh, OK, these are the kind of jokes she can make. And then, you know, just going back and forth like that really helps the characters grow. So by the, you know, this season, it's like, well, we know jokes to tell with Bo that like Marcus Scribner will do in such a funny way. Like we know how to make them like get these like really interesting takes. Yeah, it means you're you're writing for somebody after a while. Yeah, and and Mary McGlynn, who's the voice director, just is so amazing at her job and like really had a relationship with the people at this point. So she was who actually she did a voice in this episode, I should say. Oh, she's the leader of Elberon, right? Yeah, she's the mayor. Nice. So she's I mean, yeah, she was really able to get the most out of everybody. Well, that I think that is what I have to say about this episode, Lauren, is there anything we didn't cover that you want to touch on? Or Laura, too. Like, this is this is your baby. Yeah. I mean, I'll actually say I... So I had forgotten about this myself until watching the episode once it was on Netflix. But it's cool that we're in such an LGBT-friendly time. And there's so much content within this show itself that, like... I forgot that Natasha and Spinarella had an on-screen kiss. And I was like, that's huge and it's so like great okay moving on to the next giant thing that happened like <laughs> right like i would I've, i that's the kind of thing we've been fighting for 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 years and i'd never it just was like okay let's do it throw it up there it's not even a story point let's move on i i don't know i, I was touched by that to see it again yeah they're just allowed to have a relationship that anyone should be allowed to have and nobody has to like point at it or yell about it. We talk about that all the time on this podcast, how happy that makes us. I just want to take note of that. Cause it's, I don't know if, if young viewers know how <laughs> I would have killed for that. Something like that when I was growing up. So it's, it's so cool to see TV making those choices now. I didn't have more about the episode, but I did want to make sure we just talked to Laura a little bit more. I mean, normally we do kind of an interview up front and we just sort of blew into the episode (laughs) based on your transition. Uh, And it would be great to just hear a little bit more about like outside of She-Ra. So one thing that I was contemplating earlier in this interview was some of the logistical stuff. You know, you're talking about how animation evolves and how you're new to the game and then you're not, this, that, the other thing. I like to ask our guests just about what it's like working in show business because we do have a lot of young viewers who might do this someday. And so when I'm looking at your, like, I guess you'd call it resume, question mark, IMDB, if you will, um, I personally don't know how it works for a person to sometimes work for like DreamWorks and do so many episodes of She-Ra and so many episodes of Spirit, but then you have like one on Lion Guard or you have like one movie that you do with a team. Just, I, I know this is like vague because I have no idea. Could you tell us like what finding job opportunities is like for a writer like you? Sure. Uh, yeah, I can, I can do my best. Um, I should say working in cartoons is just like the dream job. Like not just because I'm a huge fan of them all, but as a community, it's, it's really, it's just a really nice, friendly, like creative place to work uh, from, from everything, from my own experience, I guess I should say. And just everybody loves what they do. And so it's, it's really exciting to be around like-minded people and everyone geeking out over the same stuff. 
Um, and there's not as many egos, I should say. There's some, but not as many as what we hear about live action. Um, yeah, I mean, as for that, so like, okay, so like, let's say you're writing cartoons, you're a writer out here. There's kind of these two camps where it's freelance and then there's staff. And it just depends on the show, how they want to run it. And so, yeah, like for instance, at DreamWorks, I worked on Spirit Writing Free before She-Ra, and I worked on She-Ra. And both of those, I was a staff writer. So that meant full-time, I worked on that series. I was in the writing room with the team that worked together full-time for a year, year and a half, working on all the episodes, working with the directors and Noel and artists and just being like really on the ground with the show. Um, and then freelancing is just somebody's making a show like lion guard for instance which is a great show very cute and they don't have a staff necessarily or they don't have enough people to cover the amount of episodes they need to write and so you just come in you meet with them and talk about one episode and write that for them just kind of on your own time so it's that's a that's a great thing too and it's really fun because you get to do a ton of different series in that way so like you can be freelancing on like four different shows and getting all kinds of genres and meeting all kinds of people. And it's really exciting. Um, but then staffing is the, yeah, the steadier day-to-day job. Does that make sense? <laughs> totally. And it's all new to me. So I'm fascinated. I hope, I hope the people at home find that cool too. Yeah. It's, I mean, they're, they're both great and they both offer their own pros and cons. I'm, I'm a big fan of working on a show that has a staff, um, just because it means there's a group of people that like intimately know the show and the characters and you just get to hang out all day and <laughs> have fun. <laughs> but uh, freelance is great too. It's, it's a lot, you know, your schedule is a lot more flexible. You get to make your own hours and take on as much or as little work as you can. Yeah. I, I, I when we visited LA, I know not everyone was there anymore, but the people who were still in the building just seemed so close and like such good friends. And who are we talking to? Was it M who was saying everyone still visits everyone else's like animal crossing <laughs> islands and stuff like y'all, at least some of you are still getting along, which That's is really right. cool. You've like made friends for your life. We met up for a meteor shower the other night. Some of Aww. us. Yay. <laughs> That's great. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of that, I got to give credit to Noelle. I mean, she, she staffed a series full of people that worked well together and like all kind of shared the same dream and same drive. And, you know, it all comes from the top and she just set a really great environment that made you want to hang out after hours and stuff. So I, I, I mean, it was some of the best creative time I've ever had. So I, I really miss working on it to be honest. I did see a piece of art of like, and I th- maybe it was when you were leaving the show, but it's like you and Scorpia and puppies. Oh my god, it was the best. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's kind of tradition that when somebody leaves the show, they get uh, you know a poster board with like custom art for them. And uh, Diana, uh, one of the uh, storyboard artists and directors, did that for me, and it was so good. <laughs> That's amazing. Is it? I mean, Scorpia. I know there have been a couple of people who've said on mic or off that like your hair is kind of like Scorpia's, so there's like that connection. But are you a dog person? Are you are you like just into puppos? Yeah. I uh, yes (laughs) yes. There's one right next to me right now. But I also I volunteer at the uh, Burbank Animal Shelter, so I just probably was trying to force dogs on people a lot. I imagine. (laughs) 
<laughs> my dog makes cameos on the show too. I'm sure there's a couple of toy squeaks in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I like that we we ask the hard hitting questions here on Progressive of Power, mm-hmm. such as, "Do you like puppos?" <laughs> I love puppos. Love cats too. You know, you don't have to choose. That's what's great. <laughs> You don't have to choose. I support that. I don't like the, are you cat or dog person? Are you introvert, extrovert? Do you like Star Wars or Star Trek? My answer is just kind of like, yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) All of them. All of the things. Yeah, there's no binaries in this world now. This is what we've learned. Agree. That probably is about our time this week. Uh, Is there anything else you would like to convey to our listeners, Laura? I hope they're all doing okay. I, I I mean, I appreciate them listening to you, and I appreciate them watching us. We 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 love our fans. I know that's like such a weird, cheesy thing to say, but like I still go on Instagram like every other day just to be like, what's the fan art today? And well, it's yeah, Instagram so is cool. lit up with that right now. It's it's amazing. I yeah. So we're we're watching, and we love you guys. <laughs> If our if our listeners wanted to see more of your work or if you're interested in engaging online, um, what are some places they can see you? Oh yeah, um, I've got a Twitter. I, I don't I use it more for you know reading, but you'll you'll see bursts of me just reposting Shira stuff. Uh, <laughs> so they can find that Laura at Laura Srebney. and. Uh, what else? The I just worked on I just two years ago, but season two of The Hollow just dropped on Netflix, so they can check that out. I, that was another pretty cool, trippy sci-fi show I worked on. And uh, you know, I've <laughs> it's one of those things. Animation takes so long. Like you'll you'll see a bunch of stuff I'm doing in like a year or two. That's so strange. And I mean, I imagine you sign like a lot of NDAs, so it must be a weird life. It's weird, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be cool. There's a lot of really cool stuff that I'm excited about. And, you know, hope there's still a functioning society for it to air. Fingers crossed. Right? <laughs> oh, man. What a, like, simultaneously uplifting and, like, grim wish. Like, we're trying to get our podcast to 100 episodes. Please, society, please hang on. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, you guys should just, I mean, there's... I, I know you were looking for, okay, how do we get to 100? Because I don't think our episodes get you there, right? But, I mean, there's so many cool people that worked on this show that you could just interview as one-offs. Like, it, it was such a cool team. The most amazing folks. We've got some interesting plans. Okay. We'll see, we'll see how they go. See how many of our plans actually hatch. Yeah. <laughs> we have a pretty middling success rate. <laughs> I mean, so does everybody, right? <laughs> yeah, truth. Well, thank you again for uh, taking the time to talk with us. This was really wonderful. Thank you for having me. I, I love talking about it. Yeah, it's been great to hang out. And um, hopefully when we visit uh, again in person, we will let you know. Yes, that someday. That'll be awesome. <laughs> Once when, when everyone's comfortable being in cars and planes again. Yeah, 2022 is looking real good right now, maybe. I got to say, not to, to hold you on longer, but that that has been a very, besides everything, obviously this is a very selfish thing, but it's it's been a bummer that this last season got released when we couldn't be with each other, but also like go to conventions and talk about it and be with fans. And it's 
So hopefully, hopefully we can do some kind of like reunion special someday. That would be so sick. Right. And when I, mean, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to tell tales out of school, but I mean, there's, I know you guys are tight with EW or whatever, but Lauren and I are definitely in the moderator business too. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love that you think I control any of that. I, I am not even invited to these panels. I just go as a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But that would be great. <laughs> Well, there could be a panel for the writers who are our bros, and then we could moderate that. There you go. <laughs> I'm down. I'm ready. I'm, I'll talk about it any day. Like it's a meteor shower out in Animal Crossing. <laughs> and I will I will wish so much that someday we'll all be together at Comic-Con. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a dream. Listen to your Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show... You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower.